I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy, and you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show hosted by two book nerd friends who talk to other book nerds, including authors, poets, librarians, booksellers, and regular readers. Our show follows this format. We begin with my crabby dullness and Amy's sometimes maddening enthusiasm. It took us a little bit of time to become self-aware and recognize that we embody the grumpy sunshine trope that we often see in literature. That is followed by a fun conversation with a new bookish friend about what they love about being a bookworm. Then we talk about what we are reading. And finally, we put our guest on the hot seat to answer some silly probing questions. We're glad you've joined us. We love finding book lovers who are doing innovative things with words. This week, we are talking about making poetry fun and accessible to the person on the street. Literally. Our guest is Sean Petrie, a poet in Austin, Texas, who, along with his fellow poets in the group Typewriter Rodeo, makes poetry become a sensory experience. Sean and his colleagues, Jody, David, and Carrie Ann, click their vintage typewriter keys and create poems on the spot for guests who attend all kinds of events in the Austin area and around the country. Typewriter Rodeo has published their own book of poetry from their nine years of poetry meeting real people with Andrews McMeal Press. And Sean is also the author of books for young readers called The Jet Rider Series and has penned several books of poetry. We want to remind listeners that Give for Good Louisville is this week, September 15th, and Forward Radio is part of that. There are some cool donor challenges this year that you can learn about at giveforgoodlouisville.org. But first, Carrie, it is our birthdays. We are one year and one week apart. So I am afraid to say that I turned 50 this past week. I know. And you are going to be 49. Yep. And we are on the cusp of being old. I had a fine birthday. Like I said, last week, my husband and I went on a fun weekend trip to Chicago. That was partly for him, but partly for my birthday. But then on my actual birthday, I got an email from the AARP, my <laughs> first email. And that kind of depressed me for the rest of the day, I hate to say. But my son, who does not cook, made me dinner, which was a very sweet thought because he's not really a, not the one who's a chef, but the other one. The other one doesn't really cook hardly at all, but he made me dinner. And that was, that was a very sweet gesture. That was very nice. I know that I'm going to get some birthday presents, mostly because I sent my husband links to the exact things that I want for my birthday. And then I happened to notice that, that there were some packages on the front porch that were in the shapes of the things that I had said that I wanted. (laughs) And, you know, I just, I've just gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm going to tell you what I want and I, I, maybe he'll wrap them. I doubt it. You, and you and I have already celebrated we our did. birthday. Yep. Yeah. We, we call it our birthday. We ha- we've been doing it for a couple of years now where we will go out for drinks and appetizers and I pay your bill and you pay mine and we yep. call it even. That's our, we gave our gift to each other. Yep. That's what we do. And it was fun and I enjoyed it. And then we stopped by Carmichael's and you picked up a book. This is... We we did have a good meal, but we have to talk about one of the items that we ordered, which was this fried shrimp dish. <laughs> and normally people think of fried shrimp as, you know, it's like breaded, but, it, you know, it doesn't have the shell any longer. Well, this particular dish, it's sort of at a gastropub type of place that we went, and they had shrimp that still had the head on it and the legs and the tail. Everything. Yeah. But they had seasoned the outside of the shell. No, it was tasty, but you know, for me, I have to peel the shrimp because I do not want to eat the legs. Otherwise, you're like flossing your teeth with the <laughs> little shrimp legs. But Carrie eats it all. She ate all the shell. She ate everything. I need to know from our listeners, is this normal? Have I been eating shrimp wrong my whole life? How many people eat the shrimp shells? Um, I just want to know. Well, here's the thing. I can tell you, my family thinks I'm crazy. But they look at me like, really, you're eating that? I'm like, yes, it doesn't bother me. So if it doesn't bother me, it shouldn't bother you. You know, I suppose I should embrace it because I do like crunchy snacks, like, you know, things I shouldn't be eating, like crackers and chips and stuff like that. It's crunchy like that, but, you know... It, it it lingers in the mouth a lot longer than a chip. You know, you're picking like pieces of tail out of your molars. Well, maybe maybe the problem is not the shrimp. Maybe is the the problem is your teeth. Maybe. Uh, 
maybe, but I'm wanting to know who taught you to eat shrimp like that? Did you just always do that or somebody taught you to do that? I don't know. I mean, I don't know that anybody taught me. I just, it just doesn't bother me. Let's qualify this. If you think this is weird, direct it to Amy because I don't want to hear that you think I'm weird. I don't really care if you think I'm weird. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> you can just find Amy on social media and let her know that you think I'm weird. And I'm going to keep eating shrimp the way I want to eat my shrimp. So, What occurred to me today right before we were recording this is that you know, it's our birthdays. And I was born in 1972 and you were born in 1973. And I was thinking about the fact that I have read two books recently, one of which I talk about in the episode today, another one I'm finishing up and I'm watching a show and they're all set in the seventies. I am immersed in avocado green. (laughs) I'm immersed in wide lapels right now throwback. Because if the AARP uh, newsletter didn't freak you out, the fact that the 70s are truly ancient history. It's mind boggling to our children that, you know, it, when you fill out things online and you have to spin that spinner, oh, God, it's like, yes. spin. Oh, God, I got to keep spinning, you know. I know. It's crazy. And, you know, the 70s were really an odd period. They were an odd period of time. Like the fashion just seems so much weirder than other eras. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just me. But like, you know, the bell bottoms and the and the like all the polyester and the wide super like I remember my dad going to work and wearing those super wide ties. Do you remember yeah. those? And the collars, like all the collars were huge, like these huge, long, pointy collars. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Although I do love 80s retro like and that was some ugly Oh, it was all too. horrendous. You know, like the shoulder pads and everything. Uh-oh. You know, that I suppose terrible. every era has their fashion. Yes, but. yeah. Uh, you got anything else to talk about? Nope, that's it. Just my birthday. Just your Happy birthday. birthday to me. Okay. Woohoo! <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Woohoo! You know, there is one thing that never goes out of style. What's that? Poetry. <laughs> Okay, good one, Carrie. Poetry <laughs> never goes out of style. Well, you know, if Sean is listening to this, I would love for a birthday gift to have a poem about my Ooh. dogs. Ooh. And you picked up his book, his uh, pet. I did. I did. pet poetry he, book. He talks about it a little bit in the episode, but he has a book called Pet Poetry and Poetry Not About Pets. I don't know if I got that title completely right. Pet poems, also not just pets. And it's filled with illustrations by an artist in Austin of animals and and pets. And he writes a little poem about what that pet might be thinking. And so that's totally up my alley. So, you know, I bought that for myself for my birthday, actually. I would love to have one of their poems. I might have to travel back to Austin sometime and track them down and make Sean write me a poem. (laughs) You ready to talk to Sean? I'm ready. We love talking to writers and readers, but it's especially fun when we come across a group of people who use words in unique ways. And Typewriter Rodeo is one such group of people. And we have a Typewriter Rodeo member. Sean Petrie is here to chat with us. Thanks so much and welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you're coming to us from Austin, Texas, and I have a friend who lives in Austin, and I am pretty sure that I have seen some of the typewriter rodeo poetry members there. So first of all, can you just explain to our listeners what typewriter rodeo is? Yeah, so we are a group of poets who get hired to basically provide entertainment at events. So we sit at a table with our old vintage typewriters. Uh, Mine's a 1928 typewriter. And we have a sign that says free poems, any topic. And so the guests at the event could be a corporate conference, a book festival, school events, museum events, whatever it is. They come up to us and I'd say something like, hey, what could I write you a poem about? And then they give me a topic and it could be anything. It could be like ice cream or summer, or I'm having a really bad day, or I just got a new job, something like that. And then in about two minutes or so, I will write them a poem on that old typewriter on the spot. And then they get the the physical copy of the poem. And so 
that's what we do, like I said, at events here in Austin and, and all over the country. And uh, it's a pretty wonderful, awesome, magical experience, I think. So you say that you do it all over the country. So does the typewriter rodeo that's based in Austin travel or are there like other groups, you know, franchises? Are there typewriter yeah, franchises <laughs> everywhere? We do not have franchises. Um, we travel. So we get hired and yeah, go out to events all over California, Boston, Ohio. We have not been to Louisville, Kentucky, but we do have some poets in a couple areas that when we go there, uh, they will type with us. Um, but usually it's, it's it's the poets that are based in Austin, and then we travel all over. So how long has this been around? How long have you been doing it? We've been doing this since 2013, so nine years, over a little over nine years, which is amazing. And it never we never planned for it to last more than a day, and it just <laughs> you know, uh, snowballed or whatever poetry does, yeah. Well, I want to know what happened on that one day. Like, how did it how did it come to an existence? You just thought, right. let's take out our typewriters and we didn't write a random that. poem. So there are four of us that started it: me, Jody, Carrie Ann, and David. All here in Austin, we're we're friends. And Jody and I used to do improv together forever ago. And she contacted me and said, "Hey, I want to do this booth at a maker fair, like one of those fairs that does like do-it-yourself crafts and things like that." And she's like, "I don't know what I want to do. Just something with words. Like maybe we can make up stories or or poems or whatever." And then Carrie Ann, who she also invited, um, and Carrie Ann's a, a local author, and we know each other through through that kind of channel in Austin. And Carrie Ann was like, um, "I have these old typewriters. Maybe I could bring those, and we could use these." And and we had no idea. Like, it just ended up being this thing, what is like the Reese's peanut butter cups, like chocolate and peanut butter <laughs> going together. And the very first person that came up uh, was this girl, I don't know, probably about eight or nine. And she came up to me and she said, what are you guys doing? And I was like, we, we don't quite know. We could do a story or a poem or whatever. We called ourselves the word makers that day. And she's like, well, can you write me a haiku about a dragon? I was like, sure. So I did that. And I was like, I had to count out on my fingers. Like, what's the haiku? And then it was just like, somehow people are like, oh, they're writing poems on typewriters. That's what's going on. And once that sound started, right, the clacking yeah. of the old typewriter, people came over. And so maybe about halfway through the event, somebody said to us, like, do you guys do this at, at other events? <laughs> we just looked at each other and said, uh, yes, yes, we do. <laughs> And then at another point, like while we're all clacking away on these typewriters, somebody called out like, you guys are like a typewriter rodeo. And Jody wrote that down and registered the domain name that night. And so then we <laughs> became typewriter rodeo. That is awesome. So yeah. from that first day that it happened that you didn't know it was going to continue, right. did you realize things that you want it to do more of or things you were like, that didn't work. Talk to us a little oh, bit about some of the changes that maybe have yeah. happened. Yeah. Like, like I said, we had no idea what we were doing and, and not even that anybody else even did this kind of a thing. I think there are some people who had done it before. And there's the, the earliest I could find was like a group of three women in Seattle who did it in the late nineties. They were the typewriter explosion, but it's this thing that there wasn't really a uh, prototype or kind of a template for like, what do you do? So we were just like the poems, like making it up as we went. And I think, you know, some things that changed or that evolved a little bit were, number one, like I said, we do this predominantly at, a, at events. And we found that trying to do it with just one poet didn't really work as well for us and for the guests. So at one point I had this little saying, like, it takes two to rodeo, right? So we <laughs> found that the, the interaction between us and the guests was a lot better rather than if it was just one poet who was kind of sitting there and writing a poem and, and nothing else was happening versus while one person maybe is writing, the other is interacting. There's just more, much more energy going. And that seemed to work a lot better. And we would feed off of each other a lot because it can be a daunting thing to sit there and try and come up with poem after poem after poem on the spot. But when you've got somebody beside you who's doing the same thing, it's, it's great moral support. And I think all writers can use that. And I, I think as we went along, you know, we kind of honed things in terms of, well, if we're doing these events and people are waiting, like there's almost always a line for poetry, which is 
awesome in itself. Like, when do you see that? Uh, (laughs) But we found that it didn't make as much sense to really interview that person who's across from you. It, It seems to work much better, at least for us, if you just go right into whatever the topic is. Like sometimes people will tell you a big story and you don't want to cut them off. But if they just say, you know, can you write me a poem about trees or nature? Like they don't ask them many more questions, any questions about that. I just kind of can tell, oh, it's kind of a reverent thing for them. Or maybe they're, they are kind of a fun, bubbly person. And so then it'll be a rhyming poem. But for us, it's been much more just trust our instincts whatever they are and and go with that for the poem rather than try and get too much of like an, a long interview process um, before writing the poem. Well, it, since you said that you and one of the other members knew each other from doing improv, I'm wondering, did you bring a lot of skills mm. from your improv days into doing that? Because I think both Carrie and I have done some writing and I cannot imagine trying to write a poem like on demand like that while somebody's standing there waiting for it. Right. Definitely the improv skills helped. And I think it kind of um, overlaps in a way with using the typewriters in the sense that, you know, if you're doing an improv show and you make a mistake or say something up there that you don't like or whatever, you can't take it back, right? There's no, oh, I've got my little Hermione time turner here. I'm just going to go back and change that. Typewriters are the same way. Like it's, we all have these old manual typewriters there's no delete key like on the computer. There's not even any correcting ribbon or anything like that. So you can't be worried about making a mistake. And so I think that actually gives some freedom to what we do. And so there's a combination of that and the combination of kind of like with improv, the, the whole yes and concept, like mm-hmm. whatever the other person gives you, you accept, agree with that and add to it. And so somebody gives me a topic and then I try and like think of it as kind of a gift that they're giving. And then um, a gift that I give back is like, I'm going to give you as much as I can on that topic and, uh, and of myself. And so I think, yeah, there's some things that help with that. And then there's, there's other skills, I think, that help with, with what we do, you know, trusting yourself, kind of em- embracing that you're going to make mistakes, right? It's not going to be perfect. And that gives you this, this freedom. And then the other thing is is just this, and it could be similar to improv, but like if somebody gives me a topic and there's some image or idea or just word that pops into my head that doesn't seem to have anything to do with that topic, I've learned to just trust that and see where it goes and just start into the poem and I can tie it in somehow. Who knows? Yeah. So, yeah. So when you were talking about this, I thought of two things. One, at the Louisville Zoo... This does have a point that relates to this, (laughs) but at the Louisville Zoo, they have this one section where the primates are and they have these old typewriters and my kids, I mean, they would bypass 70 animals so that Mm -hmm. they could make their way to the typewriters and clunk, 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 clunk. I don't know if it's the sound or the, the typing. I don't know what it is, but just that sensory experience of an old typewriter does it for people, including my children when they were young. And probably if I took them to the zoo right now, they'd still do the same thing. But the (laughs) other thing I thought about was, you know, you talked about this line of people, people lining up to get a poem. And I was like, that would be my perfect world. You know, (laughs) like if I could design a world, people would be in line, you know, for poetry. That would be awesome. Right. At the typewriter zoo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it is. It's this magical thing. And like, we'll do corporate conferences and people will line up for poetry. And, and the type, you're right, the typewriter sound, I, I think it's the sound and the, the tangible nature of it. And you get a physical copy of the poem. And, you know, we don't get that as much anymore. I and mean, everything's digital and over the screen. So, but oh my goodness, when I, I go and teach poetry workshops sometimes at schools, elementary schools in particular, and the kids, it's like, you know, second or third grade class, and they're talking, and the teacher's like, you guys be quiet, be quiet, and they're still talking. And then I'll start on the typewriter with the keys clacking, and they will just go silent. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> it's, it's this kind of like secret sauce or whatever, magic sauce. Well, talk to us a little bit about these corporate events. What can and do those corporate events mm-hmm. look like? I guess in my head, I was thinking like, you know, a terribly boring, I don't know, like insurance <laughs> convention, you know, although totally, that yes. maybe a typewriter and some poetry would liven it up a little bit, but what have some of those looked like? 
Uh, we've totally done insurance conventions, actually. Yeah, insurance, <laughs> finance, whatever. Um, most, whether it's one company or like a, a convention, you know, the underwriters of, you know, America or whatever, they'll have a, a, usually have a corporate conference once a year in some place. And at those, oftentimes they will have like a, a mixer, happy hour, something event to start off the, the conference. And so, Think of it as like those often will have like maybe a band or something there. We are there as, as that same sort of entertainment. And so we're there at the table. And the corporate ones can be some of our most favorite ones in the sense that these are, let's say it's insurance, a bunch of insurance people from all over the country. They're there at this thing. They're talking to each other, having drinks, and they look over and they're like, what is that table with people with typewriters that says free poems? And somebody <laughs> will walk over and they're like, what are you guys doing here? We're like, we're writing poems on the spot. They're like, um, okay. And I'm like, they're like, how does it work? I was like, you just give me a topic, anything you want. And they're like, um, okay, uh, how about the poem about my dog? I'm like, great, poem about your dog. And um, at that point, I might ask him, like, tell me your dog's name or, you know, what something about them. And then I'll type the poem. And then it's this really cool thing, like these people who are whatever they are, insurance, salespeople, tech people, get this copy of a poem and they'll read it. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. Marie, come over here, get a poem. <laughs> I love like the idea of like at least a tiny bit spreading poetry to people who may not experience it that much um, in their lives. This is totally just my weird brain, but I'm like wondering if people come up and, you know, they're like, talk about common carrier liability or (laughs) that you have to write about some type of topic related to, you know, whatever the field is. Does that ever happen? Oh, yeah, they'll do that sometimes. And if somebody said, hey, write a poem about common carrier liability, I'm like, can you explain that a little bit? And then I'll try. And that's the type of poem that I would think about something something different would pop into my head. Like, I don't know what it would be like, you know, a seagull. And I'm like, I don't know why that pops in, but I would try and work that in. Or maybe like (laughs) the web telescope somehow as the type is coming. I don't know what that would be, but those are the most fun poems to try and like combine those things. Uh But I will say though, at a lot of these corporate conferences, people tend not to ask for poems about their work or their job. So once they realize this doesn't have to be part of the conference work schedule or agenda items, they're like, I want a poem about going to the beach uh, this summer or my kid or my dog. Or sometimes what's amazing to me is like people will, you know, they don't know us and they're never going to see us again. So it's almost like a confessional booth. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they will share some really personal stuff with us that, and I've had at one conference, this was years ago, and this woman came up and, uh, She's waiting in line and she gets up to the front. She leans into me really close and she's like, "Um, can you write a poem? Like, I just found out I'm pregnant. I'm really excited about it, but I don't want anybody here to know. Oh, my gosh. So it's just this really cool thing about. And and then that's what they're doing at this, this corporate conference, you know, and they're getting a little bit of art and like human connection, I think is really cool. So do you have to do any preparation to do these Mm. events? I mean, mentally or maybe even physically, like where does one get typewriter ribbons for typewriters that old? (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, we do have to maintain the typewriters. You can still buy typewriter ribbon online and they make calculator ribbon as well, which which works. You just re-spool it on there. But luckily, everything else about the typewriter, like you don't really have to to do much. You keep it in its case. It doesn't get dusty or, or dirty and so then it, it works great those they're you know they're made to last in terms of other preparation there's there's not like you know warm-up exercises like you i think we used to do those for improv we don't do anything like that you just arrive and you know hopefully you're kind of well rested one thing i have found that that helps me is trying to this may sound weird but like learning more about different things in in the world almost like taking field trips and stuff to gather different things that I can maybe work into a poem at some point. And I remember once I took a road trip out to West Texas and there's this really cool observatory out there and you can stay there in the astronomer's lodge. And so I was just me with all these other, this was a group from Notre Dame University at the time, they were all you know astronomers and they were studying binary stars, which I knew nothing about, but I sat down and talked with them over our meals. And then I get back to Austin and 
not a week later, somebody came up and this guy asked for a poem about he and his partner were splitting up and there was nothing wrong. It was just kind of, could I write a poem about, about that kind of this breakup thing? And I ended up working in the, the binary star stuff, the image. And so it's this cool thing of like, I feel like the more I can go out and gather information about, hey, different types of flowers or stuff I don't know about, those kind of work their way into these poems at different times. And I really enjoy that. I teach students, like younger, middle and high school students writing. And it, it almost seems like that's almost like a vocabulary development thing yes. that, that you might do for, for students because so many times I'll say, you know, give me an adjective and they're like, good, bad, ugly, pretty, you <laughs> right. know, and it's like, okay, come on, let's, let's find some different words. So I know you talked early about how it works better to have several poets. Mm -hmm. Do you all ever have a, a moment where you, you can't think of a word and you yell out to one of your co-poets, you know, give me <laughs> a word for whatever. Does that ever sort of yeah. feedback happen? Yeah, that does happen sometimes. We're like, what's the word for when you you can't think of a word or something like that? You know? <laughs> Stumped? Yes, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> and so we'll do that. Or every once in a while, somebody will get a poem request and they'll be like, oh, you need Sean for that poem. Like he knows about Doctor Who, the TV show. Or, oh, you want a romantic but like seductive type poem. Oh, you want Carrie Ann to write you that poem. <laughs> 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 so we'll do that. Yeah. So are there certain styles of poems that are easier to come up with? Are they all free verse or what? Oh, good question. Oh, I would say been doing this for what, nine years, very conservative estimate. I think I've written probably 20,000 poems, oh twenty five, which is a lot. Maybe 10 or less people have asked for a specific type of poem. They're like, can you write a sonnet or a villanelle? And I'm like, <laughs> let me look that up on my phone, what that is, and I will do that. Haikus, we get haiku requests every once in a while, but that's actually not that often. So it's totally up to us. And so that's the one thing that I decide at the start before I start writing. Usually I just, and after this, I just launch in not even knowing where the poem's going to go, but whether it's going to rhyme or be free verse. If it's a heavy topic, topic like, oh, it's a breakup poem, or I'm having a tough time, or even worse, those don't rhyme. But anything else, it's just fair game. And uh, for me personally, like, especially if it's kids or younger kids, I tend to lean towards rhyming because they really can enjoy it, will enjoy that. Sometimes if it's a challenge, if somebody's like, oh, I bet you can't rhyme with that. I'm like, oh, all right, your poem wasn't going to be a rhyming poem, but, <laughs> but now it's going to hopefully be. So, But other than that, it's either rhyme or free verse, but that's it. There's no, we don't try and use any other formal structure. It's difficult to do that in such a short time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go back to the typewriters. Apparently I am obsessed with the typewriters. <laughs> but, <laughs> but on the typewriter rodeo website bios, each member lists the specific type of typewriter yeah. that they use. And so I'm wondering, does that mean that that's their favorite typewriter, their only typewriter? Do you all look <laughs> for vintage typewriters so um, that you can find new ones or what, what's the typewriter situation? The typewriter situation. Um, yes, each of the ones on our website. So we each have like a go-to typewriter that we use and like the most. When we started, Carrie Ann had like, I think, five typewriters. I got one within the, the next week and David did as well. And Jody got one from her mother-in-law, had one. That she, and so at that point, those were kind of our go-to ones. I think Jody and David still use those same ones. I mean, maybe have acquired like one extra typewriter since in the nine years. I have close to 50 typewriters <gasps> now. Oh my gosh. I know. I moved recently and then I realized how heavy those typewriters <laughs> are. <laughs> um, but they're, they're beautiful machines and each one of us has, has one that we like the best and all four are different. And mine ends up being the very first one that I had. It's a 1928 Remington portable model number two. I um, mean, it's just, just a lovely typewriter. And I love the way it feels like the springiness of the keys. And I love the way it, it sounds and it's super portable and has a nice great case I can carry it around in. But I got all these other ones because every once in a while I'll take one that's like a super fancy one to an event and use that if it kind of fits in with the vibe of the event. And then also we will do workshops for kids sometimes in schools. And if it's a small enough group, 
like say it's like nine students, I can bring a typewriter for each kid. And that's really cool. And they love it. I don't know, Carrie, you and I are of an age. I remember doing some of my like junior high and high school papers on typewriters. Oh, yeah. Do you remember doing oh, that? Yeah. And using and, the, the correction tape and having yes. to stick it in there and fix your mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. We're old enough for that. But like my kids, I'm sure have never touched a typewriter. My kids are young adults, but I mean, I can imagine that even younger kids would have no reference for them at all. They don't. But like I said, it's just they're in awe of them. And so many of them, when we do these presentations at schools, are like, where do you get a typewriter? How much does it cost? They're like, sir, sir, how much does yours cost? Can I buy it? (laughs) (laughs) But we will do events at like some of the elementary schools and we'll do like let's say a fourth grade class and then we'll go back the next year and do the fifth grade class and it's the same kids and every time there's at least one kid usually more who come up and say I got a typewriter since last time you were here I'm like <laughs> yes you convinced your parents to get you a typewriter <laughs> um, but yeah kids I mean who knows why you know whether it's just something so new or different for them but a lot of kids seem to really love it. So you talked about traveling for yeah. events. So how often are, are you all yeah. getting out of Texas to go to some of these? Well, obviously COVID shut that down. But before then, I would say we would go outside of Texas probably a few times a year, maybe like three or four. And then we will go outside of Austin sometimes to other parts of Texas, like Dallas or Houston, or uh, in a couple of weeks, we've got a, a gig in Odessa, Texas. So before COVID, we would do, yeah, maybe four or five. Uh, we had a lot of gigs in Boston, some in New York City, and then uh, Seattle, some in California, Ohio, Minnesota. And then uh, we had one really fun one in Cabo, Mexico, uh, the Hilton mm. hired us to type poems on the beach at a party they had. We were like, we're in Cabo on a beach typing poems. <laughs> <laughs> this is the life right here. Now that COVID's over, ha- have yeah. you started doing more traveling again? Yes. Yeah. Like we've got these ones coming up within in Odessa and I think a Dallas one coming up soon. And then yeah, one in Minnesota, I believe next month. And then we were supposed to go, oh, we were supposed to go to Boston for the Nantucket Book Festival Uh, June. And it was the time, unfortunately, when all of the airline stuff was was really bad. And there were a lot of flight cancellations. And all of our flights got canceled. And so we we couldn't get there. And it was very frustrating. Well, again, I'm back to the typewriter thing. So do you check your typewriter? Or do you keep the carry on? We never check it, uh, because I would just be worried that it would get tossed around and damaged. So yeah, we carry them on. But uh, it's, it's so funny, because you know, they have to go through the the security x-ray machine. And probably about half the time, the the TSA agents are like, what is this? (laughs) And so we'll have to like take it out. It's always the first part of us who's in line. So then the next one can be like, oh, it's another typewriter. It's fine. You know, but, and they will take it out and they'll look at it. And so many times they'll call the other agents or they're like, guys, look at this. It's a typewriter. (laughs) So it's fun. It's funny. But yeah, so that's why having a portable one, I think all of us use portable models that have their, their carrying case versus like some of the big, huge anvil size typewriters. We couldn't take those with us. Typewriter Rodeo, you all have a book about mm-hmm. the history of Typewriter Rodeo and, and the poetry. So tell us a little bit about why you all decided to, to put the book together and how it came to be. Yeah, yeah, that I mean I love the book. I think we yeah, we were just really fortunate to to have that happen. And so it came to be because Carrie Ann and I are both writers, kind of published authors, independent of all this, and we had the same agency. And so the the agent there was like, we'd pitched it to her. And she's like, Oh, this is great, you know, what do you have? And so I had started at that point as well, like kind of collecting some of the poems and the stories behind them, because it's like some of the ones I've told you, like the, you know, the woman who, you know, says, oh gosh, I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm super excited. I don't want anybody else to know. And then at some of these events, like the reactions that we get from people run the range from like, this is great. This is amazing. Or they laugh and think it's funny, or they'll come around and give us hugs on the table or they'll be crying like good tears. And so I was like, this is a really cool human interest aspect of what we've got going on here. And it's almost a little bit like the humans of New York thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But 
with the stories behind these people. And then it's the stories behind like, why did they ask for this poem? And then what was their reaction to it? We have a mailing list. And and, and, and then at that time, when a, a poem would happen, I, I might be like, oh, hey, we're putting together stuff for a book. Is there any way we could maybe contact you about, you know, using your poem in there? Um, and then we had other poems that we just liked the poem for whatever reason at that time and had taken a photo of it and had no idea who it was for or where, where it is, but we have that and we remembered the story. And so it was like this collection of those things. And we reached out to several people and they were, you know, super excited and gave us photos to use of themselves and, and, and little blurbs and things to, to write with. And then it, the book kind of snowballed too and did this really cool collection of the poems and the stories and and the people like behind them. I'll tell you two stories about the book that I really like. Number one, I was in Portland, Maine when we were putting the book together. As I was just kind of traveling out there on my own. And I was on this tiny ferry to this island called Peaks Island. We're going across there and I have a shirt on that said Austin and city limits or something. And and this woman's like, oh, are you from, from Austin? I was like, oh yeah. And she's like, oh yeah, we're from Austin. You were on our honeymoon. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And so we t- start talking. They're like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I do these things. And sometimes I write poems. She's like, wait, did you write poems at this thing, uh, this, this certain event? I was like, yeah. And she's like, my wife and I, we were there and th- somebody wrote us a poem about uh, acorns. Like we were two acorns together. We're on our honeymoon here. Like we, we got engaged and I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember that poem. Carrie wrote that poem. She's like, yeah, that was Carrie. And so I was like, hey, we're putting together a book, you know, can we? And so their poem is in this book. It was like this chance encounter on this small ferry way up in remote Maine. It's just this really cool thing, like to have that. There's lots of things like that in the book. And I love how that came together. And then, yeah, we got Andrews McMeal was the publisher who I was really excited about too, because one of the things they do are all the collections of the Far Side cartoons. They're my favorite comics as a kid. But so they just did this visually great layout and um, structure for the book. So yeah, it's awesome. I didn't do my homework as well. I was thinking it was kind of a small thing, like that maybe it was only available in Austin or something, but it sounds like, no, it's a big thing. Oh yeah. Is it called Typewriter Rodeo? It's called Typewriter Rodeo. Yeah. And it's a big thing. And so (laughs) one of the things that I love about it too, so the the back of the book, the blurb that we have on there is from uh, Billy Collins. He's like the two-time like poet laureate. uh, Oh my gosh. And he... So this was one of my favorite gigs. We did the Nantucket Book Festival. This was back in 2016. He was there. He was one of the authors. And he came up and asked for a poem. And he asked it from Jody. And Jody's like, oh my gosh, the poet laureate is asking me for a poem. <laughs> and so she's having a poem. And he's like, you guys are on to something here. This is great. And so then we hung out with him at several of the events. And I got to know him pretty well. So it was just really cool that that happened. At that same festival, Sharon Stone, the actress, was there. She came up and asked for a poem, and both Carrie and I wrote her poems. Turns out she's a huge poetry fan herself. Later in the festival, she came and sat down with us and typed poems. We had an extra typewriter. <gasps> and so she's actually in the book, too, and the poem that I, I wrote for her is in there. And both of them we keep in touch with. They're like friends of the rodeo. Oh, my goodness. I think a lot of people think of poetry as being very cerebral, uh, mm-hmm. And maybe not accessible, but you exactly. you all have made it much more accessible to the average person. And, and it sounds touching, you know, like I think about the inaugural poem that uh, Amanda Gorman oh, wasn't that did, amazing? right? Yeah. I think generally people don't think of a poem touching so many people at right. one time, like right. hers did, you know. I don't know. I just think what you're doing goes to show that poetry can be for anybody. I think that's exactly right. And yeah, I mean, I loved that she got to do that at this, you know, really emotional inauguration. And like so many people watched that and were like, oh, I like that. Maybe I like poetry. Huh. Right. And we found that, at least I have, like, not everybody likes poetry, but everybody does seem to like a poem written for them on a topic they choose right then and there. Yeah. 
They like a poem for them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if that's the gateway into poetry, that's fine. And even if it's it's just that one, that's fine too. I think I realized where I might have seen you all. Have you done the Texas Book Festival? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We okay. Did I'm that. sure that that's where it was because when I would go to visit my friend, I would always come during the Texas Book Festival because we're both big book lovers. Well, this has been so fantastic talking about fun, relatable poetry. I think now's a good time to take a quick break. When we come back, we're all going to talk about what we're reading. We are back with Sean Petrie and with Carrie. Carrie, you have started back to school working. And so I know that your reading time has has been reduced a bit. What have you been reading? Well, I actually picked up a book in July when you and I did our little trip to Lexington. I am going to be teaching a civics class here in a couple weeks. We went to Joseph Beth bookseller in Lexington. And I saw this book. It's called How to Read the Constitution and Why by Kim Whaley. And I thought, you know what, that sounds interesting. And as has been in the news, the Supreme Court during its most recent session had a a bunch of decisions that made the news. So I thought I would pick it up and just kind of see what it was about. So this book is written for people like me, the lay person who is is just interested in learning more about the Constitution. One of the things I was thinking about with this book, we've all seen over the last couple of years how many social media experts there are, right? So like when COVID hit, everybody was epidemiologists. And then with this recent Supreme Court decisions, everybody's now constitutional scholars, right? And so with me teaching the civics class, I thought, I want to pick this up. So one thing I really liked about the book, early on, the author talks about how reading and understanding the Constitution is kind of like reading and understanding a poem. So there can be many interpretations depending on the words that you focus on. So the Constitution, at least to my understanding, is a fairly vague document that leaves a lot that's not really clearly delineated or clearly defined. For example, Article 1 says, all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress, but it never actually specifies what those legislative powers are. So there's a lot of room for interpretation. So if you have any interest in learning more about the Constitution, I suggest you give this book a read. Although one thing I would note, you know, because of recent Supreme Court decisions regarding Miranda rights and abortion rights, uh, this book was published in uh, 2019. And so because of recent decisions, a couple things in the book, they aren't valid anymore. But it doesn't get too much into the weeds. I think it's very understandable and it can make you feel a little bit smarter about the Constitution and, and why we need to pay attention to it and work to to keep it functional. So I love that idea of it's like analyzing a poem. That's very interesting. Yeah. Concept. Yeah. It, oh, I never thought of it that way. So yeah, it, it sort of depends on the word you focus on and, and that there can be multiple meanings and multiple ways of understanding different terms. So I, I thought it was fascinating. And the name of the book is How to Read the Constitution and Why by Kim Whaley. W-E-H-L-E. So Sean, yeah. have you been reading anything <laughs> lately? Oh, not a whole lot, actually. More writing. I just started a friend really strongly recommended by Michael Lewis. It's called Flash Boys. It's like kind of the deal with some stuff on uh, Wall Street trading, which I know nothing about. And she was like, you will love it. It, it reads like amazingly well. And so I've just started it. I mean, it's great so far. So oh, Is he the shit. one who wrote Moneyball? Yes, that's a, that's yes. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And I did not read that, but obviously that that's has... Some, a lot of high praise, but yeah, the writing is, is great so far. And it's, it's, what's fascinating to me because I was having this conversation with my friend and she uh, works a little bit in that industry, but much more with like data privacy stuff. And we were talking about the stock market and I was like, I just don't understand physically or literally like the ticker price that comes up. Like you see like uh, Apple, the stock is whatever, $200 and 62 cents. Like what, is the actual input that's coming in to make that price. And where is it coming from? And she's like, yeah, nobody knows that. That's what this book is about. And I'm like, oh, oh wow. Oh, okay. I picture like back in the old days, there was like a ticker tape. And like, even then, like, where is that stuff coming from? Like who decides that that gets, what gets in there and how? 
He's yeah. also the one that wrote the big short. I didn't read the book, but I saw the oh, movie. Yes. The movie was great. Yeah. Yeah. He's written quite a few things about economics, like, yeah. sort of, and like things that we don't really, I don't know, like nobody really understands. Right. <laughs> or it seems to me like nobody really understands. Or just like a very small handful of people. Do, yeah. You know, and they want to keep it that way. <laughs> and so then it's. Oh, it's kind of like, you know, like accessible poetry. His is like accessible economics, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think both Mo- – was Moneyball made into a movie? I think yes, it was. was. Yes. I mean, and if you think about who would think that you could make a movie about Moneyball and the big short and right. they would be interesting and compelling. Right. Okay. Those of us who majored in economics – Okay, well, on, that are recording right now. Do kind of think it. that's interesting? <laughs> well, well, okay, yeah, yes, it's interesting. But how do you make a how do you make a movie about it that's compelling? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that's I mean, my point. The, the opening chapter of this book is already very movie like, and so one of the big concepts so far is like getting the data or the price of the stock um, faster than somebody else. And so like nanoseconds matter. And so the opening chapter is about this guy building this fiber optic line that's a direct connection between Chicago and New York and literally laying it in different parts, like going through the Allegheny Mountains in Pennsylvania to make it as straight as possible and like getting all the clearances and stuff for that and nobody knowing what what he's doing, what the company's doing. Like it's a secret thing. I can see that as a movie, you know, opening, like yeah. that, that happening. It's called Flash Boys by Michael Lewis. Okay. Well, Amy, I've been busy during the day at school, so I haven't had too much time to keep up with what you've been reading. So... Well, it's your job to keep up with my reading life, Carrie. I don't know. I mean, how dare you have a job? I know. Let me tell you, the pay for keeping up with your reading life thus far hasn't been great. So, <laughs> Well, I'm going to talk about a book today that was an absolute joy to listen to. I listened to this on audiobook. It's called The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. And it was published last summer and it was very popular. You saw it all over Instagram. I think it won like the Goodreads Fiction Award last year. But I'll admit that I thought it might be a tad too silly for me, a tad too silly for my tastes. Hmm. So I didn't pick it up for a while, but I couldn't have been more wrong about it. So this is the story of Patrick O'Hara, and he is a 40-something former t- TV star uh, that he won a Golden Globe for a role in a show that sounded to me a little bit like maybe Friends or at least that's the way I imagined it. And after the show ended, he sort of left LA and became a hermit out in the desert in Palm Springs for the last four years. So he's gone from being like a A actor to a B actor, I guess you could say. And so when his sister-in-law dies after prolonged illness, his brother Greg asked him to take his two children from their home in Connecticut to Patrick's home in Palm Springs while he goes to drug rehab for 90 days. Because while his wife was dying, Greg became addicted to pills. And so he needs to get clean before he can tackle being a single parent for his kids. So the kids, Maisie and Grant, are nine and six. And Patrick is absolutely convinced that he is not the right person for this job. He is single. He is gay. He knows nothing about kids. And he really doesn't want them to cramp his his style anyway. But when Patrick's sister, Clara insists that she should take the kids because clearly Patrick isn't capable. That is the motivation that Mm -hmm. Patrick needs to decide, yes, he is going to take these kids to show up his sister. So the title, The Gunkle, refers to Patrick as he is the gay uncle. And the kids' term of endearment for him is GUP, which stands for Gay Uncle Patrick. And so throughout this book, he gives them little bits of uh, life lessons, wisdom. Some of them are funny, and some of them are serious, and he calls those the gunkle rules. What I loved about this book is that while it is very light and silly in some places, it is also so thoughtful and addresses deeper issues. While Patrick is trying to help the kids address the grief of losing their mother, he's also confronting his own grief from losing his boyfriend in a car accident years before. And the book addresses LGBTQ issues in an accessible way. 
in tone, it reminded me a lot of The House on, in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. That's another LGBTQ writer who deals with those issues in his books. Klune's books, though, have a magical element, and The Gunkle does not have that. But both of them have this whimsical feel that made you think it could be like a middle grade book, but it's, it isn't. It's obviously for adults. But I love the way that both of these made me feel a little sparkle. I don't know if that makes any sense, but sometimes I feel that when I'm reading a really good middle grade book that just seems kind of whimsical and magical. I listened to the audiobook and I cannot recommend it enough. If you have the opportunity to listen to this narrated by the author, you absolutely should. He's able to give so much personality to his characters. His rendition of Patrick it reminded me of a, a little older, little wiser version of David, the Dan Levy character on Schitt's Creek. And in fact, if you enjoyed that show at all, you should definitely try this book. And I was really sad to see it end. And so the name of that book, again, is The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. Well, it really stinks that I usually can't read the same books that you read because you've already talked about them. And then I don't have something new to talk about on the show. But I'll have to add that to the, you know, 10 years from now list. The 10 years from now. Oh, really? You could sneak one in, I bet. You could sneak an audio book in. Nah, maybe. Maybe. I got <laughs> <laughs> to have my stack of books that I can talk about for the, for the show. So we'll see. We'll okay. See. Well, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to put our guest, Sean Petrie, on the hot seat so he can answer his three in the third degree. are back with Sean Petrie, member of Typewriter Rodeo, and he's getting ready to answer his questions. So number one, we have learned through the magic of the internet that dressing up in costumes has been a bit of a thing for you. You you apparently dressed up for a, a Texas lottery gig. Tell us about your very first job. Uh, my very first job was in high school, and I worked at the Columbus Zoo in Ohio. That's where my, uh, I'm originally from. And I dressed up as one of the Care Bears. So I, was, uh, <laughs> I don't remember the name, but it was the Pink Care Bear. And uh, I don't remember the name of that one either, although my I little sister loved Care Bears, but I don't remember well, the name. Well, a lot of people did. So I was there and people would come in. I was at the entrance and greet them and people would take photos, stuff with them. And I remember one time, and I was somewhere after my sophomore year, and um, these guys came in. It was like a group. And they were like, oh, let's get a picture with the Care Bear. And they did. And they're taking a picture with us. And they turned to me and they're like, we're Leonard Skinner. And I was like, I'm Sean. I didn't know who they were. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. those costumes. So this was like the full costume where you they couldn't hot. see your face or anything. Yeah. So hot. Oh yeah, my gosh. It was the summer. It was a summer because it was between oh my gosh. Know, in school. Yeah. The lottery one was um I, back when I used to do improv, the the Texas lottery folks came and said, Hey, we're looking for people for a commercial. So I went and did the auditions. And back then it was I think they still have it. It's called Pick Three. And they had an ad, a TV ad that they were doing where you dress up in a big foam number three and just your face shows out, out of that. And, and uh, so they had me do all these expressive things. They're like, all right, pretend you are a pin at a bowling alley and you get hit and you're wobbling back and forth and almost falling over, but don't. And I'm like, I don't know. what. This. So apparently I had that look. And so I... I <laughs> Got to dress up in this uh, big green foam number three, and they shot two commercials. And then also they used that, a couple of the images on the little uh, kind of placard things that are in every gas station around the whole state of Texas, where it's like the pick three lottery. And I'd go into some random one. I'm like, hey, let me show you. I'm here on this thing. I'm like, what? I'm like, oh my goodness, that's your face. I'm like, I know. That's <laughs> cool. So you're so you're like an unknown celebrity. Yeah, totally unknown because that was it. It peaked and ended right there. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. Okay, your second question. So you are a legal writing professor at the University of Texas Law School, which seems like it is a very different kind of writing from typewriter rodeo poetry. Yes. So why did you settle on legal writing? 
Um, I mean, I, I, oh, I went to law school. And so like, that's my, you know, main job, like, and it has been. So I went to law school and I practiced for a couple years. And then a friend asked me to, to come teach as an adjunct. And I loved it. It was, I loved the non-adversarial nature of teaching. And I've always loved writing. And so I teach the first year law school, like introduction to writing and research, but mostly writing. And so I, I just enjoy that. And it, it's, uh, everybody is kind of at square one with that. And so I'm like teaching the kind of fundamental skills of, of writing. And, and there's some things I think that overlap with, with creative writing in the sense that you really don't usually want to leave your reader in the dark, right? You want to communicate what you want as clearly as you can. Now, maybe that you want to clearly communicate suspense, and that's a different thing for creative writing. You don't put that in, in legal writing. But there's some overlap. Um, but in a lot of it, yeah, they're two very different hats. It is hard for me. Every once in a while, I've gone from teaching a class straight to a, a typewriter rodeo gig. I'm like, oof, I got to take like 15 minutes and just not think about anything here. To <laughs> yeah. Switch brains. But, so yeah. what point did you start writing poetry? And were you writing poetry like when you were in law school and uh, no. just uses a different part of your brain? Yeah. I mean, I, I actually wrote poems when I was a kid. First two poems I wrote was probably like second grade or third grade. And uh, there are these rhyming poems about like Christmas and Thanksgiving. And, and I, I really liked them. And I liked them so much that I told my um, classmates that they had been published in Highlights magazine, um, <laughs> which there was no internet back then. So they had no way <laughs> to check. <laughs> um and then I think I feel like I should make it a goal to get something published in Highlights magazine at some point, so that you know, re- really, I was just a little bit ahead. Of, of That's right. That. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so then I, I've always I've loved reading and reading fiction, and then uh, maybe about fifteen or so years ago, I started writing the the fiction stuff and doing that at the same time as practicing law and teaching. And then the poetry, I never would have guessed that that's what I would have would be doing right now and have poetry books and, and be paid to do that and teach that. Much like the, the day that Typewriter Rodeo started, I had no idea that I was going to be doing that or that I even really could do poetry that well. And it's, it's something that's just kind of clicked, whether it's that kind of forced format or just, what is it, the Malcolm Gladwell thing? You do 10,000 hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's something like, I've written 20,000 poems, so it's close to that at this point, whether it's the muscle memory or, or just the practice of those. So, But it is something that I felt re- very early on. I'm like, oh, I, I can kind of do this. I'm not going to really question why or how. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you have recently published a book of poetry titled Pet Poems, Also Not Just Pets. And that won a bronze medal from the 2022 Independent Publishers Awards. And based on the cover, Amy (laughs) needs to get this book because it has, it's beautiful. It has a beautiful dog on the cover. So why pet poems? So this ended up being a collaboration with an artist that in some ways is similar to the, the typewriter rodeo poems technique in that this artist, she has these paintings that I just love. They're watercolor paintings of a lot of them are pets, like dogs and cats and rabbits and geckos, but also some like uh, other animals like the wolf and hippo and things like that. And I looked at those and I was like, what's going on with this dog? Like if this dog were coming up to the poetry table and saying like, hey, write me a poem about me. <laughs> that's what I did. So each one of these poems was looking at those and finding the poem that was there. I had no idea if it was going to work and it really worked well. It's a fun book. A lot of the poems are fun and whimsical, but some are like, there's one poem in there that I love this poem so much. It's this dog and she painted it with like kind of this stars and galaxy, like in the background within the dog a little bit, like kind of overlapping. And so that poem ended up being, I saw this dog like wanting to change its name. And it reminded me of like, I have several friends whose kids or older kids, like have wanted to change their names and have done that. And so I wrote it kind of about that. And the poem is called Call Me Galaxy, Please. And it's oh. about like the dog wanting to change its own name, even though the, you know, the owners had named it. And it ends with like saying, I hope you'll like it. And I hope you'll still be as proud of me and that kind oh. of stuff. And I love that. Yeah. So that this book has just worked. It, it just clicked with all that stuff. But there's a lot of fun, whimsical poems in there, too. What's the name of the artist? Uh, Amanda Hawksworth, H-O-X-W-O-R-T-H. The illustrations are amazing. And yeah, I... I'll do this at school visits sometimes too. And like take in, and the kids love it. Like elementary school kids. And then I'll like put up 
one of the paintings like, all right, we're going to write a poem together. Like what's going on with this dog or this cat or this jellyfish or whatever. So it's, it's really fun. Well, I have to tell you, Sean, you just chatting with you, it's been so inspiring. And this is part of the reason I love doing this show is, Mm. you know, talking to people, it gives me so many ideas of things that I can do with my students. You know, when I start writing with them, whether it's do something on the fly where I find a typewriter and say, okay, we're going to, write poems, you know, spur the moment poems. But I just get such great inspiration from talking to to our guests. So so thanks so much for for helping give me ideas, but also telling us about typewriter rodeo and and the work that you do. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. And yes, get a typewriter for your kids or the 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 students. They will love it. Oh You can follow Typewriter Rodeo on social media at Typewriter Rodeo or their website at typewriterrodeo.com. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod and on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover. If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Finally, a huge thank you to Ford Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.